right, welcome to another podcast edition of White Collar Crimes. Glad to be back after a week off. I'm Ryan Horn, the host. Hope you've had a nice day, nice weather in my area, unusually warm for February, and uh, really had overall a pretty mild winter. Um, Seemed like, like I said a few times when I was recording episodes, that uh, we had some winter weather come through, but overall, uh, we've gotten off pretty easily, and... uh, Health-wise, doing much better, although uh, some of this flu-slash-sinus infection, whatever I had, still continues to hang on a little bit, and my wife even had two rounds of this, for what it's worth, so uh, don't know if I'll be out of the woods yet. Been battling it for about two weeks at least, and uh, if not more, and it's still hanging on just a little bit, so it is quite stubborn. You know, the last time we talked about what is often the worst results of white-collar crime, and that is when somebody commits a murder for money. And, you know, we talked about in the last episode the Craig Rabinowitz case, the uh, salesman and the stripper, title of the episode. And continuing with that tonight, this is a similar type case, and, and I'll go in a little bit, you can see what we're going to be talking about there is actually an american greed episode as well as uh another television show carrying this story but this is the story of paul curry who was a supposed jeopardy champion and you know just a genius supposedly that uh committed murder for money and you know murdered his wife one that uh you know he's supposed to love and cherish and As we'll see, that meant nothing to him as much as the almighty dollar. Now, Paul Curry, he uh, was supposedly a Jeopardy champion, had won uh, on the game show Jeopardy. So, you know, the guy obviously smart because, you know, you got to be pretty intelligent just to get on that show, uh, let alone win an episode. So, you know, we can give him that. We can spot him that. Uh, But he met Linda uh, Kincaid at the California nuclear power plant that they were both working at in 1989. Now, supposedly Miss Kincaid was unlucky in love at this point and was really almost at the point she was about to just kind of give up on trying. And unfortunately for her, uh, she did not. And, uh, you know, she was supposedly always attracted to and impressed by intelligence. And, you know, that's something, again, Mr. Curry did possess. He was a Jeopardy winner, and he claimed to be a member of Mensa, which is the oldest and largest high IQ society in the world. I'm sure most of you know about Mensa. Uh, You know, I can tell you I certainly am not a member of this group, but, uh, you know, there are a lot of... uh, you know, high IQ folks that are, and uh, he claimed to be a member of this group, among some other claims we'll find out soon that uh, were just not quite true or on the level, but uh, it was odd these two, their friends kind of found these two as an odd match, you know, now of course they say opposites attract, so who knows, but uh, they were very much reported opposites. she was very tall, you know, tall, blonde, athletic, attractive, uh, you know, had a lot going for her, where supposedly uh, Paul did not. He was a short guy, not particularly attractive, and 
Usually, uh, even though he was supposedly broke, he always dressed to the nines, you know, uh, where he got the money. You know, who knows? We know one way, unfortunately, that he got it. But, uh, you know, he was always dressed nice to impress. And that's what a lot of friends uh, said about him, and especially, you know, very close friends of Linda's, that uh, a lot of people of her, a lot of her friends just did not set well with him, you know, when upon meeting him. He just rubbed a lot of people around her the wrong way. Unfortunately, he did not her. But a lot of her friends were not uh, impressed with him and felt that, uh, you know, there was a sense of arrogance to him. They said he uh, very much would let you know that he was smart and a Jeopardy winner and a, a Mensa member and uh, supposedly had a physics degree, which, you know, all these things we'll find out with the exception of probably the Jeopardy thing, uh, that it wasn't true. And uh, he was uh, certainly one that would uh, flaunt intelligence. He would, uh, you know, correct people, you know, kind of talk down to people and certainly like to flex uh, what he perceived to be his intellectual muscle. Now, as we said, she was drawn to him uh, because she supposedly was very attracted to intelligent men. You know, obviously she was a pretty intelligent person to have a job at a nuclear plant. I imagine, uh, you know, she had to have a certain degree of intelligence and education herself. And uh, supposedly she, uh, you know, there was a 13-year difference between these two, which, you know, I mean, that's not, you know, a terrible Distance, you know, there are there have been successful couples, even that I've known of, that have made relationships work, you know, with more, you know, age between them than that. But you know, that's a, a decent amount, I guess. And uh, you know, some people thought that might be an issue, but of all the things, unfortunately, that would be, uh, that was not an issue. Uh, Paul, at the time they married, was 32, and she was 45. But supposedly they hit it off well immediately and you know after knowing each other and working with each other and dating for a short while they married in 1992. Now she soon found out that he did bring some financial problems into the marriage as I said a little bit ago even though they always they found out later even though he always dressed to the nines and you know always had nice flashy expensive clothes he was usually broke. Uh, in fact, she found out that uh, he had declared bankruptcy about uh, four years prior to their marriage back in 1988. So even though he had a you know, pretty good job uh, at this nuclear plant, uh, he had financial trouble. And unfortunately, uh, his lust to get money would cost her her life. And as we'll see a little bit, it uh, almost did some of the uh, women in his past as well. Now, it didn't take too long, right after they were married, she began to get very frequently ill, and something else that troubled even her, that she spoke to her friends about, that Paul almost immediately began to pressure her to get life insurance. And again, you know, that's a wise thing to do. You know, uh, most married couples I know, you know, have at least a little bit. It is a wise thing to do. You never know when somebody could die and you know, get in an accident or get a sudden illness, something like that. You know, none of us, as they say, are guaranteed tomorrow. So I think it is a wise thing to have life insurance. But, you know, the downside of that is, is, you know, that when we have uh, spouses that kill, a lot of times that is the motive and uh, that quick, easy money that you can get from it and get a lot of money from life insurance policies. And, 
you know, he pressured her with her being older than than he and, you know, to try to, you know, you know, more than likely even tell her she's going to pass before him and she didn't want to leave him, you know, in a financial bind. So he pressured her to get some life insurance policies. And uh, she felt troubled by that, especially as quickly as, you know, they were married, he began pressuring that. And oddly, coincidentally, as I said, she also began to suffer from a lot of illnesses at this time, some of them very brutal. Uh, She began suffering from a lot of illnesses, which she would uh, have a lot of vomiting and severe headaches and bloody diarrhea, and uh, some of which would uh, land her in the hospital. And they found that uh, in her IV bag, when he was sitting with her at the hospital once, a nurse discovered that the uh, IV bag had a very cloudy, uh, off-color kind of appearance to it, which they found later the IV contained large amounts of uh, lidocaine. And uh, she was not authorized this medication. And Paul was the only one with her at this time and the doctors that was allowed with her in the uh, ICU unit where she was at. But police felt at the time they lacked the evidence to come just fry it out and charge him, which, you know, is kind of, you know, surprising, I guess, because, you know, the only ones you could just flat out say had any access to her was either her husband, the doctors, or the nurses. Uh, what could have held up them pursuing a little further is, you know, we have had instances of medical fraud and these uh, angels of death type nurses. We'll probably cover some on this case uh on this show down the road in some podcasts, but we have had some of these nurses that uh, have killed to, uh, you know, for whatever reasons, you know, or they'll, you know, poison somebody and then they try to, you know, save their life and be a hero or on and on. But we have had, you know, unfortunately some doctors and nurses that do kill. And, uh, you know, that could be maybe what held them back a little bit from pursuing further because they felt they just didn't have enough to, you know, bring formal charges against him. And, you know, uh, the evidence at that time certainly was strong enough that uh, they were highly suspicious. And you would think at this point that Linda would have been highly suspicious, but uh, unfortunately not enough. Now, friends would also recall a time that Paul made dinner for her with some uh, really exotic salad dressings. And not long after this, she became ill again and was hospitalized. You know, same thing, the severe vomiting, headaches, uh, bloody diarrhea, all those types of things that she had just previously gone through before, coincidentally not long after marrying him and not long after he began to pressure her to get a life insurance or, you know, several life insurance policies. Now, she did survive, but at this point her friends pretty much could figure out, I think, what was going on, even if, unfortunately, she was still maybe a little bit in denial, but they obviously became very concerned and tried to get her to leave him, but uh, she was in denial, and she, you know, denied there being any problems. She refused to accept the fact that Paul was trying to kill her, uh, claimed he was, quote-unquote, a good husband, and uh, just was not having enough of it to believe that it was her husband that was trying to kill her. I'm not sure, you know, what she thought was causing these illnesses to the point that, you know, she was being hospitalized. But, uh, you know, 
at this point, these should have been major red flags coming out, but uh, unfortunately it was not enough at that time to get her going. But this would also unfortunately happen yet again another time. By now we are in 1994. They've been married for, you know, a couple of years here and a lot of close calls, but she uh, had some illness at this point that she was not able to survive of. And uh, she did pass away. This again with them only being married for two years and her being very young still at this point, only in her 40s. But, uh, you know, the not too surprising thing is not long after she died, Paul very quickly requested the payments for the life insurance to uh, supposedly even the day after her funeral and uh, treated himself to a nice Cadillac and, you know, some other uh, fancy toys to go along with, uh, you know, his newfound wealth. I've heard reports of, you know, a half a million to, you know, a million, million five, just all kinds of different numbers. But the bottom line, he, he did pretty well. And, you know, if even if it was, let's say, half a million dollars in 1994, half a million dollars would go way further than it will now. You know, it's good money now at any at any rate. But, you know, in 1994, you're talking almost 30 years ago, that certainly would go a very long way. Uh, police were, again, suspicious, but... Uh, still felt that they lacked the evidence to bring charges against him. So he uh, decides to, at some point, he relocates all the way, moves from California to Salinas, Kansas. And from there, he actually conned his way into uh, becoming the building inspector, Biller, the chief building inspector for the city. And this is a you know pretty nice city, nice little town, so I'm sure he got a you know, nice little salary from it. And you know, whoever who know what credentials, if any, he had for this job, but uh, that did not stop him from anything before. And, you know, little is known about Paul Curry, really, that I could find in research. A lot of times I can find things about, you know, background and childhood and upbringing. Not much is really said about him. I would like to read his uh, PSI, the pre-sentence investigation that the probation officer probably prepared for the judge when he was sentenced, as you'll see in a little bit. But I would be curious to see. Not much said about him. Of course, you know, what could we believe? Because as, you know, we'll see and have seen that uh, not much this guy did was on the level. Pretty much everything he did was a fraud. So I'm not sure we could even believe what would be what he may be reported from uh, his upbringing. But again, police were suspicious, but this couldn't bring forth the evidence. So he went uncharged and started a new life as a chief building inspector out in Salinas, Kansas, as I said. But along comes 2007, and a new investigation starts, and we have a new uh, lady that becomes a detective, and she is just, you know, like a laser light, like a bulldog trying to get to the truth in this. And thanks to some changing technology that... uh, they found out, you know, getting her body exhumed and doing some tests, that she was slowly poisoned over about a year with fatal doses and injections of nicotine. And this was after heavily sedating her. They later found a small injection wound behind her ear. This is likely where he injected some to her. This was uh, totally out of character because she was not a smoker. So they knew that nobody could uh, pin this 
or that I'm sorry that they knew that she was not a smoker or a user of nicotine in any way. So therefore, this could not be, you know, of her own doing. And they were able to find out at the time when she did get sick the night she went and died in the hospital. The only one at home with her, admittedly, when he talked to police, was Paul. Because, like I said, she was not a nicotine user, but the night she went in and died, this is what they found. At the time in 1994, supposedly the technology to test her on this was not quite up to what it was by 2007. So he was one that his crimes were foiled by technology. And since he was the only one at home with her the night and he did bring her to the hospital, finally, through, you know, bulldog, brilliant detective work, they were able to pin him as the uh, the killer. And, of course, we know the sole motivation was for money because they found out later uh, a couple of his ex-wives experienced similar things, only they thankfully were able to survive and get away from him before you know he could do this to them but uh you know he was somebody had a lot of financial problems brought them into the marriage but uh by killing her he thought he had them conveniently solved um and when questioned by police they found out a lot of things were just flat out bs from his life he was not a mensa member he did not have a physics degree he they got them to admit that and when they asked him why he told people he did he basically said it was for to impress people and intimidate people so a lot of what they found out about him was just not true, you know. And uh, unfortunately, he was a good con man, though, and he was able to con, you know, Linda into marrying him. And unfortunately, that cost her her life by not seeing the flaws in him until it was too late. But uh, he was brought up on charges. Investigators, like I said, were able to get him to admit a lot of lies and things from his background. They were able to find out some very similar close calls from other ex-wives of his. And, uh, of course, he also pressured them into life insurance policies. Now, if you are listening and you are married and you haven't gotten one, don't think that, uh, you know, this is to scare you out of that. I actually would recommend, you know, and even if you're not married, uh, get one and, you know, have something for your, your family and your loved ones in case something does happen to you. Again, it is a wise investment, so this is certainly not to dissuade anybody from getting a life insurance policy but uh you know make no mistake about it when white collar crime turns deadly uh sadly life insurance policies are a lot of times what people kill for and uh that was no different uh with paul curry so in 2010 he was arrested at the age of 57 and charged with linda kincaid's murder all these years later in 2014 he was found guilty uh, first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Now, like I said, oftentimes we talk about whether or not somebody will be able to off- offend again or, you know, rip people off again. Uh, fortunately, uh, that won't happen with Paul Curry because he will not see the light of day. So at this point, that was nine years ago. So I guess he's around 66 now. Still probably got some years left in him although you know not likely he'll live to be as old in prison as he would if he were out a free man but uh nonetheless at least uh he cannot victimize another woman like he did linda kincaid and nearly did uh, some other women from previous marriages but uh you know greed is a deadly sin and we're going to have an episode coming up on that topic actually and uh you know it's just an unfortunate uh time when white collar crime becomes deadly and this 
Just like we saw the Rabinowitz case last week, this is the case with Paul Curry. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes uh, people will kill for the greed of that almighty greenback dollar. And, uh, you know, that's what happened here. And sadly, you know, a nice, uh, intelligent, well-liked lady uh, paid for somebody's greed with her life. So, yep, we will have some episodes coming up on that. So be sure and tune in to us next week. Uh, also, uh, got uh, another audio book getting ready to come out from Beacon Audio Books. Uh, will be called uh, Sons of Liberty that's getting ready to come out. So I'll uh, keep you updated on that. And then another one shortly coming out. Hope to have an update on that in the next uh, couple weeks that will be out through uh, Cherry Hills Publishing. Big announcement on that. And check out my website, ryan-horn.com. If you ever are in need of any voiceover service, please feel free to contact me. And contact me if you'd like to uh, be a guest on this show or provide an idea for the show. We've had listeners do both. And uh, you can contact me at ryanhornvt at gmail.com. Uh, Be sure and like our Facebook page, too, and follow it for any announcements about episodes or if we uh, have to uh, take a week off and not do an episode. We usually try to announce that on Facebook, on our Facebook page. So uh, be sure and follow all that. As I always say, adopt your next best friend at your local shelter. Best thing you can do. And as always, definitely keep a watch out for your elderly friends and family because they unfortunately are the most victimized when it comes to white-collar crime. Uh, Also keeping an eye out on the Murdoch case out in South Carolina. Uh, We will do a special uh, episode on that once we get a verdict, whether guilty or not guilty. We'll uh, see how that goes. But uh, again, this is certainly a case as well where if he is found guilty, it would you know fall in the line of the last two episodes we've done, some where you know people do kill for money. So uh, we will definitely be keeping an eye out on that case, and uh, we definitely appreciate you turning an ear in on here every week and listening to us. And we'll be back again next week. Take care and God bless everybody.